Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 56 The Narrative Concluded We had been more than an hour under the tree when I heard cries again, but this time I was not alarmed, for I distinguished the voice of the disconsolate mother, and I knew that I could comfort her. Her grief brought her back to the spot where she thought her child had been. Devoured. She wished, as she afterward told us when we could understand her, to search for him, for some remains of him, his hair, his bones, even a piece of the bark that bound him. And here he was, full of life and health. She advanced slowly, sobbing, and her eyes turned to the ground. She was so absorbed in her search that she did not see us when we were but twenty yards from her. Suddenly, Sophia darted like an arrow to her, took her hand, and said, Come, Manua is here. Kanda neither knew what she saw nor what she heard. She took my daughter for something supernatural and made no resistance, but followed her to the fig tree. Even then she did not recognize the little creature released from his bonds. Half-clothed, covered with flowers, and surrounded by three divinities, for she took us for such, and wished to prostrate herself before us, she was still more convinced of it when I took up her son and placed him in her arms. She recognized him, and the poor little infant held out his arms to her. I can never express to you the transport of the mother. She screamed, clasped her child till he was half suffocated, rapidly repeating words which we could not understand, wept, laughed, and was in a delirium of delight. That terrified Manua, he began to cry, and held out his arms to Sophia, who, as well as Matilda, were weeping at the sight. Kada looked at them with astonishment. She soothed the child, and put her him to her breast, which he rejected at first, but finally seized it, and his mother was happy. I took the opportunity to try and make her comprehend that the great animal brought him here, that we had found him and taken care of him, and I made signs for her to follow me, which she did without hesitation, till we reached the grotto, when without entering she fled away with her infant with such rapidity that it was impossible to overtake her, and was soon out of sight. I had some difficulty in consoling my daughters for the loss of Manua. They thought they should see him no more, and that his mother was very ungrateful to carry him off without even letting them take leave of him. They were still weeping and complaining when we saw the objects of our anxiety approaching. Kanda was now accompanied by a man who was carrying the child. They entered the grotto and pro prostrated themselves before us. You know, Paraberry, his countenance pleased and tranquilized us. As a relation of the king, he was distinguished by wearing a short tunic of leaves. His body was tattooed and stained with various colors, but not his face which expressed kindness and gratitude, united with great intelligence. He comprehended most of my signs. I did not succeed so well in under understanding him, but saw he meant kindly. In the meantime, my daughters had a more intelligible conversation with Kanda and Manua. They half-devoured the latter with caresses, fed him with figs and honey, and amused him so much that he would scarcely leave them. Kanda was not jealous of this preference, but seemed delighted with it. She, in her turn, caressed my daughters and mared their glossy hair and fair skin, and pointed them out to her husband. She repeated Manua after them, but always added another Manua, and appeared to think his name beautiful. 
After some words with Paraberry, she placed Manua, Manua in Sophia's arms, and they both departed, making signs that they would return, but we did not see them for some time after. Sophia and Matilda had their full enjoyment of their favorite. They wished to teach him to walk and to speak, and they assured me he was making great progress. They were beginning to hope his parents had left him entirely when they came in sight. Paraberry bending under the weight of two bear skins and a beautiful piece of matting to close the entrance to my grotto. Kanda carried a basket on her head filled with fine fruit, the, the coca, the breadfruit, which they call written, pineapples, figs, and finally a piece of bear's flesh roasted at the fire, which I did not like, but I enjoyed the fruits and the milk of the coconuts, of which Manua Manua had a good share. They spread the bear skins in the midst of the grotto, Paraberry, Kanda, and the infant between them took possession of one without ceremony, and motioned to us to make our bed of the other. But these skins had an intolerable smell, the bears having only been killed the evening before. I made them comprehend this, and Paraberry immediately carried them off and placed them in the brook secured by stones. He brought us in exchange a heap of moss and leaves, on which we slept very well. From this moment we became one family. Kanda remained with us and repaid to my daughters all the care and affection they bestowed on Minoa Minoa. There never was a child had more indulgence. But he deserved it for his quickness and docility. At the end of a few months he began to lisp a few words of German, as well as his mother, of whom I was the teacher, and who made rapid progress. Paraberry was very little with us, but he undertook to be our per purveyor, and furnished us abundantly with everything necessary for our subsistence. Kanda taught my daughters to make beautiful baskets. Some of a flat form served for our plates and dishes. Paraberry made us knives from sharp stones. My daughters in return taught Kanda to sew. At the time of our shipwreck, we had each of us in her pocket a Morocco housewife with a store of needles and thread. By means of these we had mended our linen, and we now made dresses of palm leaves. The bear skins washed in the stream and thoroughly dried in the burning sun have been very useful to us in the cold and rainy season. Now that we had guides, we made in the fine season excursions to different parts of the island. Manua Manua soon learned to walk, and being strong like all these islanders would always accompany us. We went one day to the seashore. I shuddered at the sight, and Kanda, who knew that my husband and child had perished in the sea, wept with me. We now spoke each other's language well, enough to converse. She told me that a black friend had arrived in our neighboring island to announce to them that there was a being, almighty and all-merciful, who lived in heaven and heard all they said. Her comprehension of this truth was very confused, and I endeavored to make it more clear and positive. I see very well, said she, that you know him. It is to him that you speak every morning and evening, kneeling as we do before our king, Bararuo. Yes, Candace said, I, it is before him who is the king of kings, who gave us our life, who preserved it, and bestows on us all good, who promises us more when this life is past. Was it he who charged you to take care of Manua Manua and to restore him to me, asked she. Yes, Kanda, all that you or I do that is good is put into our hearts by him. 
I thus tried to prepare the simple mind of Canda for the great truths that Mr. Willis was to teach her. "'You left me little to do,' said Mr. Willis. "'I found Paraberry and Canda prepared to believe, with sincere faith, the holy religion I came to teach. The God of the white people was the only one they adored. I knew Paraberry. He came to hunt seals on the island where I was established, and I was struck by his appearance.' What was my astonishment to find that when I spoke to him of the one true God, he was no stranger to the subject. He had even some idea of a savior and of future rewards and punishments. It was the white lady, said he, who taught me this. She teaches Kanda and Manua Manua, whose life she saved and whom she is bringing up to be good like herself. I had a great desire, continued Mr. Willis, to become acquainted with my powerful assistant in the great work of my mission. I told Paraberry of this, who offered to bring me her here in, this, in his canoe. I came and found in a miserable cave, or rather in a bear's den, all the virtues of mature age, united in the charms of youth, a resigned and pious mother, bringing up her children as they should be brought up simplicity and forbearance and love of industry teaching them as the best of knowledge to love god with all their hearts and their neighbor as their themselves under the inspection of their mother they were educating the son of perry berry this child then four years and a half old spoke german well and knew his alphabet which madame hertel traced on the floor of the grotto this way she taught her daughters to read. They taught Manua Manua, who in his turn teaches his parents. Paraberry often brings his friends to the grotto, and Madame Hertel, having acquired their language, casts into their hearts the good seed, which I venture to hope will not be unfruitful. Finding these people in such a good state, and wishing to enjoy the society of a family like myself, banished to a remote region, I decided to take up my abode in this island. Paraberry soon built me a hut in the neighborhood of the grotto. Madame Hertel compelled me to take one of her bear skins. I have by degrees formed my establishment, dividing with my worthy neighbor the useful articles I brought from Europe, and we live a tranquil and happy life. And now comes the time that brought about our meeting. Some of our islanders in a fishing expedition were driven by the wind on your island. At the entrance of a large bay, they found a small canoe of bark, carefully moored to a tree. Either their innate propensity for theft, or the notion that it had no owner, prevailed over them, and they brought it away. I was informed of this, and was cu curious to see it. I recognized at once that it was made by Europeans. The careful finish, the neat form, the oars, rudder, mast, and triangular sail all showed that it had not been made by savages. The seats of the rowers were made of planks and were painted, and what further convinced me was that I found in it a capital gun loaded and a horn of powder in a hole under one of the seats. I then made particular inquiries about the island from whence they had brought the canoe, and all their answers confirmed my idea that it must be inhabited by an European, from whom they had perhaps taken his only means of leaving it. Restless about this fancy, I tried to persuade them to discover if the island was inhabited. I could not prevail on them to return the canoe, but seeing me agitated, they resolved secretly to produce me a great pleasure, as they thought, by returning to the island and bringing away any one with whom they came in contact with, whether he would or not.
Pearberry, always the leader in perilous enterprises, and who was so attached to me, would not be left out in one which was to produce me so much pleasure. They set out, and you know the result of their expedition. I leave it to your wife to tell you how she was brought away, and pass on to the time of their arrival. My people brought them to me in triumph, and were vexed that they only found one woman and a child, whom I might give to the white lady. This I did promptly. Your wife was ill and distressed, and I carried her immediately to the grotto. There she found a companion who welcomed her with joy. Francis replaced her own lost Alfred, and the two good mothers were soon intimate friends. But notwithstanding the solace, your Elizabeth was inconsolable at the separation from her husband and children, and terrified of the danger to which you would expose yourself in searching for her. We were even afraid she would lose her reason when the king came to take away Francis. He had seen him on his arrival, and was much taken with his appearance. He came again to see him, and resolved to adopt him as his son. You know what passed on this subject, and now you are once more united to all those who are dear to you. Bless God, brother, who knows how to produce good from what we think evil, and acknowledge the wisdom of his ways. You must return altogether to your Allen. I am too much interested in the happiness of Emily to wish to detain her. And if God permits me, when my missions are completed, I will come to end my days with you and to bless your rising colony. I suppress all our reflections on this interesting history and our gratitude for the termination of our trials and hasten to the recital which at my particular entreaty my wife proceeded to give us.